Hello, I'm Lisa Kay. And I'm Taylor Cole Longacre. And this is Intentional Talk. A show that cares and brings positives to the air. Well, today we are talking with Judy Hoberman. Judy Hoberman is president of Judy Hoberman and Associates, a company focused on empowering professional women. She's an award-winning international speaker, best-selling author, trainer, and leading authority on women in leadership. She's the author of four books, including Selling in a Skirt and Walking on the Glass Floor. Judy offers a training program that concentrates on women in leadership and the men who champion them with emphasis on redefining culture. You can learn more about Judy at sellinginaskirt.com. Judy, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We are very excited to have you. I have read your books and I love them. The most recent one, Walking on the Glass Floor. Judy, that, I really did. I felt like you were coaching to me while I was reading (laughs) your book. I could not put it down. It was the fastest book I have read. And I have got, Mark, Taylor, you taught me this. I... It'll be a book I'll refer to over and over again. So well, that's that's I'll, awesome to hear, Lisa Kay, because really when I wrote the book, I wanted to be in your back pocket. I wanted to be there. So if you had a question or you you know you had a comment, we could write it down, we could discuss and and so that's been my joy. So oh thank you. Oh, absolutely. Um I I'd like to start with asking, tell us a little bit about your background. Oh, Uh (laughs) How much time do you have? Um, So I I grew up in New York and um, when we were growing up, our backyard was not like it is, you know, in Dallas or anything. We were cement backyard. And what I remember very vividly was my brother's uh, building a go-kart and I wanted to watch. And every time I would watch, my father would come and pull me by my ponytail and say, girls, don't do that. And so he would walk away and I'd go back and we'd go back and forth like three or four times. But the last time I, I really wanted to see how you build this go-kart. And so I had my head perched down into the go-kart and my father was, I could hear him walking towards me. And I was so close that I got the hammer in my cheek. Oh, total accident, total accident. But what the reason I'm saying this is because this is my background. This is how it happens. My father told me I, you know, it was a waste of time and I didn't listen to anybody. I asked too many questions. I always had to be involved, blah, blah, blah. And so he wanted you in pageants, right? That was when I was in high school. At this point, he didn't want anything for me to do but listen. By the time I was in high school, that's where the pageants came in. And and again, it was this back and forth. I don't want to do this. Yes, you do. I don't want to do this. And and finally, that's when he said to me, "Um, you you have to win because all you are is pretty and you'll never amount to anything else. So when people ask me about my background, yeah, I could tell you all the, the fun stuff we did and everything. But that's what I remember because being told girls don't do this your whole life. And then what do I do now? Girls do do this. So it, it kind of like shifts. Yeah. I actually grew, I'm sorry. I actually grew up changing my own oil filters, <laughs> water until they changed the engines to where you can't even, you can't even. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I have a daddy. I wasn't allowed to drive a car until I knew how to change my own tire, until Mm -hmm. I knew how to properly apply jumper cables. 
and get myself out of a jam and even get myself out of a ditch because I grew up on a dirt road. So <laughs> you see how it all it's all different, but it's all the same. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, Judy, your mission is to help one woman a day by following mm-hmm. an important philosophy that women want to be treated equally, not identically. Correct. Where did that come from? And let's unpack that a little bit. Okay. So, you know, growing up as the only female or working as the only female, I knew that when I started my company, it was back in 2009 in the height of this fantastic recession that we were having, I started a company. Who doesn't do that? But what I wanted to do is I said, what would I have wanted if I was starting all over? And if I was starting all over at that point, because I had gone through many years and many different ideas and companies and industries. And what I would have wanted was somebody like me, somebody that would have understood what it's like to be the only female or what it was like to do things differently. And so my mission was to help one woman a day. Let me just help one, one woman figure out the tools that she would need to be successful. Just one woman. And people would say to me, but what about a hundred? What about a thousand? One woman a day exponentially is a lot of women. So that was the first piece of it. The second piece was we didn't want to be men. We wanted to do our own thing. We wanted to have, you know, use our inherent feminine qualities. We wanted to do things like that. We just wanted the same opportunities. So we didn't want to be treated equally. We just want to identically, we just want to be treated equally. We didn't want to be men because it's confusing for us. It's confusing for them. But the same token, you can't do anything by yourself. I mean, it takes a village and it has to include the men that champion us. So it was kind of this whole puzzle I was putting together. And that's that's truly what it was. One woman a day treated equally, not identically with the champions. And you are. You definitely are helping. I I can just see. I can see all the people that I know that know Judy and love you. They're like, oh, yeah, I've read her book. I've been helped by Judy. So it it has to be more than one woman a day today. I bet you're helping (laughs) many more than one a day. And and that's probably happening. But for me, if I could help you, Lisa Kay, today, and if I could help Taylor tomorrow, it's still all the people that know you and they say, oh, wow, where did you learn that? Judy Hoberman. Okay, because that's what happens. It works like that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's like the way that networking works. If you meet somebody that influences you or inspires you, you're going to tell somebody else. And that's, that's what happens. So exponentially, it's a lot of women. I'd like to ask you about the, what, what did you title it? The seven essentials, seven essential qualities Mm -hmm. of women leaders. Did I say that? Yeah. And it really, I mean, men can use the same qualities. This was really written, you know, for a female leader, but men are using the same qualities and I'm fine with that because they're great qualities. But the, the way it came about to do that was I do a radio show. And so every week I do, every single time I do a show, I do a monologue. And when we were trying to figure out what my next book was going to be about, I took all my monologues and divided them into buckets and they were all these seven qualities. And so it goes, you know, from your passion to being um, courageous and communication and generosity and decisiveness, all of these things that create the softer skills of leadership. Because yes, we all want to do the right thing. We all want to be, you know, aggressive and, and, and we want to make sure that we have high integrity. Those are the normal things. Those are the things that a leader has to have. Otherwise, you know, why would you follow them? These are the other pieces of it that make you want to, it makes it so you, uh, people understand that you care about your people, that you understand your people and that you know your people. I always tell people, if you don't know your people, what good is it? 
Because coming in as a leader, if you don't know anybody on your team or what they're doing or what their goals are or their dreams, then how can you actually lead them on the journey that they want to be on? So know your people is, is very big going with those seven qualities. Oh, yeah. How, if you've got a team, and I know you, we need mentors too, or we should have an accountability mentor, mm-hmm. um, but how do you coach a team to have the same vision as you and want to follow that same, that same vision and accomplishments as you? Well, you have to share the vision. And when you find that somebody doesn't have your vision or that doesn't have the same core values, they're probably not the right people for your team. Because if you go out there to talk to people, if you go out there to work with people and you have conflicting ideas, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. When I had my, I, I had, I was in insurance and I had three agencies. And at one point I inherited people into one of the agencies. And the person that I inherited did not have my core values at all. And every time I would go to another office, he would tell all of the, the agents that were there exactly the opposite of whatever I said. And so it was, it was always that push pull and, and you know, and, and we weren't pulling in the same direction or pushing in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And so I never knew that until about three or four weeks later when I came in to, to do a training and they said, well, you know, so-and-so said that we shouldn't do it your way. We should be doing it this way. And that's when I heard all that. And then I heard all the other things he had been saying. And then I realized, I don't care if I inherited him or not, he did not belong on my team. And so I, professionally asked him to find another team to go to because my team was not going to be available to him. And sometimes you have to uninvite people. With that said, the people that you do want on your team, you have to invite them to come in, but you need to invite them to stay because a lot of times leaders don't, again, know their people and they're just giving them the door, you know, because they don't care. So I am very clear about what I believe in and I'm very clear about my core values and I don't compromise them because once you compromise them, then they're not your values anymore. That's right. How do you welcome them, invite them to stay? What does that look like? So, you know, I know I said this already, but if you don't know your people, you're not inviting them to stay. And I'll give you a perfect example. Like when I would bring people in, the first thing I would ask them is, um, tell me what, how you see yourself in this company, you know, in our company. And they would say one of three things. They would say, I just want to be a producer. Okay. Or I want to be into leadership or I want your job. It was one of three. It was never anything like, I don't know. It was one of those three. So if they told me they just wanted to be a producer, I would say, great, let me show you the journey to get you there. If they said I want to go into leadership, I would say, great, let me show you the journey. If they said they wanted my position, first I would laugh and then I'd say, okay, let me show you the real journey. But the, the point was that if I didn't know what they wanted, how would I lead them the right way? How do you, you know, how, how do you help somebody get where they want to be or be the person they want to become or be as successful if you don't know what they need, what they want? I've always had open lines of communication. And did everybody always agree with me? Absolutely not. But we agreed to disagree, but we never compromised what we did. We never did anything that was at all illegal. We never told anybody something that wasn't true just to get a sale. We were very straight laced and you know, people would say you're pretty boring. That's okay, I wanna be boring. But we were very clear about 
about who we were and what we did. And people always would say to us, I want to do business with them because they they always show up. They always tell me where it, you know, what it's about. They explain things and they always stay with us. They follow they follow up with us. So that's inviting people in. Inviting them to stay is continuing with them on the journey and, and showing them that it's easy to get where you want to go if we work together. And so why would I open the door and say, well, you can leave now because I don't really care. I don't do that. You know, I, I make sure that people understand how much I care about them and that success is from the bottom up, not the top down. So if they're not successful, I'm certainly not going to be successful. And but that's the way it works. Not everybody thinks like that which they should, because you have to be dependent and and able to help other people reach their dreams, because that's how you're going to reach yours. If you if somebody said to me, I want your position, that's when you say, please promote me out of my position, give them the, the opportunity to get there so you can go to another position, you can go up. That's how it works, yeah. at least how it works for me. And it worked very well, because my people stayed. Yeah. They they did. They stayed. They they were successful, and some of them are still in the in the business. That is great, Judy. And it sounds like you cultivated a very healthy work environment. And I've also seen though how you live that out just in your relationship with others. I think I met you almost a year ago yeah. to this day um, at a coffee shop. But I noticed that in some of your teachings and some of your videos, you've talked about avoiding putting false perceptions and projections on people, making those assumptions before you ever really get to know somebody um, and about first impressions. Can we talk a little bit about that on how uh, first impressions, how we can impose our our, um, biased first impressions on people rather than allowing them to be who they can be? So my my TED talk was about being prejudged because I've always been prejudged. But I would have to make sure that when somebody would walk into my office and we were doing a recruiting session, you have to take that out. You can't just prejudge somebody. Oh, she's going to be great because she's dressed well, or he's going to be awesome because he has a leather binder, or she's not going to be any good because of this, or he's not going to be good because of that. And people prejudge you in a matter of seconds. And I mean, that that time limit keeps going down. It was 10 seconds, then it was five seconds, then it was a half a second, then it was a quarter of a second, because your brain is already telling you these things and you're allowing it in. So when you prejudge somebody or when you think that somebody can't be or can be, um, it's it's a it's not a good thing to happen because a lot of times we want something for somebody more than they want it for themselves. And that's so true when you're in a sales position, like, oh my God, they're going to be so awesome. I'm just going to work with them every step of the way, which is nice. But after a while, when they're, they're not doing anything and they're not listening to what you're saying and they're not picking up a phone and they have no business, you're doing them a disservice. You know, it's time to say, let's let's find you something else. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, if you don't give somebody an opportunity to even show you how amazing they could be, you're also doing them a disservice. So there's been plenty of people that have walked through my doors and, you know, we had other managers and they would say, oh, no, mm-hmm. they'd never be good. And you can't do that. I worked for somebody who would yell at me every, this is how, this was the cycle. On Monday, on Sunday, there would be an ad in the newspaper for recruiting. This is a real newspaper. So this is back in the 90s. There would be an ad. On Monday, they would call and they would book, book an appointment and we would do a group first. So you'd have, let's say, 10 people. On Tuesday, that would be when the second interviews would be. So on Monday night, my regional director would call me and say, how many people uh, said they were coming in? And I would say 10. Okay. How many people showed up? 
10. Great. That's awesome. On Tuesday, he'd say, well, how many people came in for a second interview? Eight. And then I'd start to hear his voice change. On Friday, he'd say, how many people did you, did you hire? And I would say two. He'd say, well, what happened? What, you know, what you didn't like the way they looked or whatever. And I'm like, no, well, this person doesn't know how to read. This person doesn't speak English. You know, there were things that they couldn't do. You can't read an application if you can't speak the language. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that happened for three or four weeks. He ruined every weekend for me, three or four weeks. And then I got smart. I thought, well, this is a game he's playing. So on Monday, he would call and say, how many people did, you know, showed up? And I would say four. How many people did you hire? Two. Okay, that was better. He said, I guess you listened to me. Yeah, no, because he was the one that did all the prejudging. I didn't prejudge anybody. I would sit down with every single person and I would talk to them. And if they had no chance of making an all commission based um, position, why would I hire them? If they have a whole big family at home and nobody's making any money and you can't make any money for six or eight weeks, why would I hire them? Would I bring them on if they wanted to do something, you know, on a part-time basis? Yes. But you can't do that to people. It's a disservice to people. Mm -hmm. So I, I was very careful, very careful. And I always brought in spouses or partners to find out what their feeling was to make sure that this really? was a good fit. Really? Yeah. Oh, always. I love that because often you need that support system in order to totally. be successful. It's mm -hmm. hard enough, especially in an all commission sales position. You need Absolutely. additional help. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my system. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, um, Judy, I, I want to ask you about, um, what did you call it? Put, put the glass down. Oh, yeah, that was, that was a how story. Did, how did that arrive? I loved that because the glass half full or half empty is yeah. what most of the time think about. Yeah. I, I loved your 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 um, topic on that. Would you share that with us? Absolutely. It was a story that I had read. And you know when people say, well, here, look at this glass. And everybody thinks they're going to, okay, prejudging. Everybody thinks they're going to say, is the glass half empty, glass half full? And that wasn't what it was at all. And the truth was that this lecturer, this professor was lecturing and she had this glass and she holds up this glass and she says, okay, half empty or half full is what you think. And she says, how much does this glass weigh? So people said, you know, two ounces, eight ounces, two, whatever it was. And she said, no, mm -mm. if I hold this glass just for a few minutes or a few hours, you know, it's going to hurt my arm, but it's not going to be bad. But if I hold on to it for a day, I can't move. And she'd go, the time would go this way, but the, her ache and her pain would be heavier. So she would say, you know, if you have, it's the same as life. If you have something that that's bothering you, it's gonna bother you for a little while, okay. But when you let it go to a few hours, then it's really gonna be heavy on your heart. And if you let it go for a much longer time, then you're gonna be like incapacitated. So the, the moral of the story was put the glass down. You know, so if you have a problem, talk it out, find somebody you can work with, and then put the glass down. So there was another story that I had found about this man. He was working in a toxic environment, but he needed to work because he had a family. And so every day he'd come out of his uh, out of the car, he'd close the door, he'd walk up to a tree, and he'd put his hand on his tree, and he'd close his eyes, and he'd say, "Okay, would you hold on to these this stress for me till tomorrow?" And and he would walk in the house, and he be, can become the good dad and the good husband because otherwise he was always stressed out so the next morning he looked at the tree 
what is he going to do? Say, give me back my stress? No, he went back to work and he had a stress. And then, you know, so that was the cycle. But he made sure that he kept the stress at a certain level so he could go in the house and be the person he wanted to be as opposed to the one that was so overwhelmed. So, you know, you have to decide, like, how are you going to live your life? You know, stressed out all the time. Look, look how we are now. I mean, everybody is so stressed out. And some people are, you know, just they, they can't even get a way out of their own way because everything is bad. Everything is negative. You have to find something good in in everything that you do. You have to find something. There has to be something that makes you smile or gives you joy or or you bring it to somebody else. You have to do something. So just, you know, put your hand on the tree and just say, okay, hang on to this for a while. And that's how it works. That, that's how it started. It was that story, Lisa Kay. It was that story when, when I found it. Yeah. <laughs> I love the story about the tree, too. I love the tree, yeah. Yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah. You're a great uh, storyteller, you know, Judy. I, <laughs> I love hearing your stories. And in particular, the Selling in a Skirt, because that is your brand, sellinginaskirt.com. Mm-hmm. But you talked about how you were asked to sell in a skirt. I've been in that situation before. Even when they paid for me to have a wardrobe allowance, they gave me a wardrobe allowance so that I could be dressed in skirts all the time. And I felt proud. I thought, oh, wow, they want me to look great and I'm going to be the ambassador for the company. But later I got a wind of myself and realized, whoa, wait a minute. They are sending me out to be to look a certain way, to project a certain image. And it was demeaning. Let's talk about selling in a skirt and kind of how you were placed in that position early on in your career. Well, that part of my life was before selling in a skirt. I mean, I worked in roofing. I was in commercial roofing. I was the only female in commercial roofing. And they told me that um, I didn't have to know anything. I'd always have an expert with me. I'd have to speak. But as long as I showed up, the the, um, commission would be mine. Um, They wanted to make sure that OSHA was, you know, protective of me because that was the big concern. So anytime I'd climb up the ladder, there'd be somebody underneath me. And oh, by by the way, (laughs) you have to wear a skirt, you know, and I really didn't get it the first time that they said it like that. I'm like, oh, okay. So they want to make sure I'm good and somebody will be at the bottom of the ladder, blah, 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 blah. I had to wear a skirt. So that's how that happened. But selling in a skirt really honestly has nothing to do with the article of clothing. Really, it doesn't. It's an acronym. It's standing out, keys to success, inspiration, results, and time management. It happened to spell out skirt. It happened to be the five biggest things that we found were you know big challenges for women. And it spelled out skirt. So, um, but you have to be careful how you brand yourself because selling in a skirt, everybody remembers, but they remember it as the skirt. And it really isn't. And when they find out what the acronym is, they're going, oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, it does. But yeah, but yeah, I still place together so well for you. It's all you can't make this stuff up. No. And so when I would tell that story, they go, oh, that's why you named it selling in a skirt. I'm like, actually, no. But yeah, that's the good story. And when I don't tell the story and I, you know, people have heard the story before when I don't tell it, they go, oh, no, you have to tell that story. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. No, no, no. You have to tell the story when I would tell it. Everybody be laughing and, you know, or they hear you hear them all going, oh, really? They made you do that? I'm like, yeah, they did. 
But I think it speaks to those personas that people project on us. Yeah. Um, one of my best friends, Barbie, says that when when we allow people to define our value and our worth, we also give them permission to take it away. And maybe that's Absolutely. from somebody. But, you know, that, that same kind of thing applied. And I, I recognize it myself um, in early in my career and, and different times, too, is where they say, you know what, this is how we want you to dress. This is how we want you to look. This is how you need to be. And then I'm just falling right into it. I'm like, wow, this is so much fun. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) But, you know, here's the other part of that, Taylor, that when you are dressed like that. So, yes, part of it is that. But when you are dressed like that, people think and assume and everything else that you've got it all, that you have it going on. You know how to dress. You like a million dollars. And that was the other piece of why I always had people prejudge me is because when I showed up, I would show up and I went to a conference where they would divide you into different groups. And I was in this one particular group and um, the facilitator for that group said to me, "Um, I have to work with everybody else, but look at you, you've got it all going on. You don't really need my help. I'm like, I paid the same amount as everybody else. You know, I don't, I didn't get that part. But when the biggest facilitator went around the room and she said, okay, so you're going to have this as a coach. You'll have this one as a coach. You'll have this one as a coach. And she went right past me. And so I raised my hand. She said, what? And I said, was I just voted off the island? I mean, you know, everybody else has a coach and I don't. She said, look at you. You don't need a coach. I'm like, okay, but I do. I mean, I don't know all these things that you're talking about. And she said, well, then I'll coach you and it'll just be another $10,000. I'm like, oh, like you're kidding, right? Mm -hmm. But she wasn't kidding. Look at you. But here's the best part of it. And this is the part that always, when I think about it, I just like, okay, so they just came to like full circle. Right before I did my TED talk, there were like 10 of us and, you know, you're divided into like these two, the first two, then there's a break and then these two, the next two. So I was the second or the third person. And before we did this, the day before there was a dress rehearsal. So one of the other speakers said to me, why are you here? And I said, well, it's dress rehearsal. She goes, I know, but look at you. Why do you need to be here? She had no idea what my talk was about. Mm. And I asked her, I said, are you going to be here tomorrow when I, when I do my talk? She goes, absolutely. I said, okay. And I didn't say anything else. So I do my talk. I go through the whole thing about being prejudged. I come off the stage and she looks at me and she said, I am so sorry. That's not what I meant. And I said, yeah. okay. <laughs> that was what she meant because it, it was. was like, look at you. Like, you what what do, what do you need to be have a dress rehearsal for? You dressed, you know, you cool this, and they don't. No, but that's so. You talk about you getting a wardrobe allowance and you look really great, and that's true. The other piece of it is the other piece, but they're looking at you now and they're going, "Yeah, she's the person that we need as the face of the company because she looks professional and she does this." And that's what it's about. That's prejudging. In a good way sometimes, but it's prejudging. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. Yeah. And also not recognizing that we're looking to grow. Maybe our aspiration isn't to be in that role. Maybe I want to be an engineer. We just yeah. Right. And that you're intelligent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Judy, where do you where do you see women going today? Do you see more um, promotions, more advancements in the corporate world today? Um or more women entrepreneurs today than before? Well, I would love to say that there's more women in leadership in corporate. I would love to say that, but I don't think that's true. Um, I think there are more than there was, but there's not a lot. At one point, I think it was last year, um, they said that um, 25% of female CEOs left 
that position. And the 25% was only like 12 people. If it was 25% of the men, it would have been hundreds, right? So yes, there's a needle that we have to move, but we all have to work together to do it. I think there's more female entrepreneurs than ever, especially now, so many women left their position. I think I heard the other day, 800,000 women left their positions during the pandemic because they needed to stay home with their kids. Because how are you gonna have somebody watch your kids if you can't have anybody in your house and you can't send your kids to daycare, so you have to do it yourself. So 800,000 women, left positions. So what are they going to do? What if you needed your income? What what if your family needs to have a second income? So a lot of women have started to do uh, more businesses. They, it already was that women were starting businesses at twice the rate of men, but now it's even more because women are starting to do direct sales and they're starting to do consulting and they're starting to do coaching because they need to earn a living, but they also need to be a parent. And so which comes first, the chicken or the egg? So, you know, if you knew that something was happening to your children, you would stop everything, right? Of course you would. That's, that's just how it is. And so now, okay, so now I'm home with my kids. I'm homeschooling them, which I really didn't want to homeschool. Now my kids are grown. So I'm just saying that as a general you, but you know, I didn't want to, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted them to have a good education, but now I have to be homeschool. I have to homeschool them. And my corporate position is not being really kind to me because I can't do all the zoom meetings and I can't do this and I can't do that. I'm going to leave and I'm going to start my own company. That's what's happening. So more and more women are looking to be connected with other people. Mostly they're looking for other women that are being connected with them because they feel at a loss. And, you know, you think about it, if you are, you've been in your home for eight months now and maybe you go out here or there, but really as the numbers come back up, so you're back down again, you, you're looking for connection. So they're looking to start a company, start a business, but also to find a way to connect with women. And today there are, of course, there's all these big movements and I I see it. It's happening with our racial divide. It's happening also with gender and bias of, okay, well, let's just go and celebrate International Women's Day or let's create this committee so that we can be certain that we're recognizing we have women that work here or I see on the on the um, culturally diverse companies that are trying to be more uh, conscious and aware. They're saying, "Okay, let's add these minorities to these groups and let's create this club so that we can say that we're ticking this box. Right. So I I struggle a bit, though, with those grandiose gestures of saying we've got a woman in leadership, but not really embracing the contribution she can make. Same thing with other races and nationalities. But it happens all the time, Taylor, because this is what's ha- what happens. People are saying, I need to be part of that, but they don't know what part of that means. And so by just hiring, hiring one person, it doesn't it doesn't do anything. So uh, and I mean, I have a million stories, but this one was like the worst one I've ever been involved with. But um, I was giving a talk and I was the only female on main platform. I was the only female that there was. And so my talk, their theme was um, superheroes. And my talk was, how do you find your Wonder Women? This is before the movie. So this is like, you know, years and years before the movie. So it wasn't, it didn't, wasn't because the movie came out and that was it. But I, that was my talk. And so I was talking to, you know, like 4,000 people and um, they were all leaders, all managers. And so I said, less than 10% of this room are women. And so it was a number that they heard. Now, after my talk, a lot of people wanted to recruit me and, you know, 
no, I'll help you recruit women, but I didn't want to be recruited. Anyway, a few months later, I put an ad in their journal and I said, now remember, less than 10% of all the managers and leaders of the company were women. So we have to do something. So I put the ad in. A couple months later, I repeated the ad and they called me and they said, can you just change that number? Because we're at at 11% now. So the first thing I did was I, I almost like laughed out loud, but then I realized somebody's watching this. Okay. In the meantime, this company had called me and they said, you know, we believe that you're the right person to come in and to help us. And, and we want to pay you this. And this was a lot of zeros, a lot of zeros. Um, and all we need you to do is help us recruit women. So I said, why do you want to have women? And he said, do me a favor, go look at our website and then let's have a conversation. So we scheduled the next conversation. I look at their website and I'm looking at all the things they've done. They've won a million awards. They're very successful. But I hit pay dirt when I looked at the executive team. It was 12 men. And the only thing that was different was their tie. It it was the same man, basically. You know, there was no diversity whatsoever in age, in background, in in ethnicity, nothing. Mm -hmm. Just the ties were different. So I call. And um, and I said, well, first of all, congratulations on everything you've done. I am I, I can't believe how many awards you've won. You must be so proud. And he said, yeah, we do really well. We're very successful. I said, OK, so I need to go back to my question. Why women? And he said, can I be 100 percent honest with you? And I said, well, if we're going to work together, I would Nothing assume. But. Honest, right? <laughs> so he said, OK, so the reason we want to hire women is because it's the buzzword. And I said, well, what is that? I said, what does that mean? And he said, well, everybody's talking about them, so we should have some. <laughs> so this like is the conversation. The store. Yes, let's get some. So I said, okay, um, are you going to do anything different? Is it going to be a mentoring program? Anything, because there's nothing about women in your office. There's nothing about women anywhere. He said, no, we're going to do the same exact thing we do for the men. And I said, okay, so when they fail, not if, when they fail, what are you going to do? And he said, we'll just get more. There's millions of them. So I said, I said, I I respectfully have to decline the offer because I would never put anyone, male or female, in a position where they are going to fail. Well, the names he called me, you can't even imagine. It was, and so I, I let him, you know, he went on for a few minutes. I let him say his thing. And I said, you know what? Thank you so much for the confirmation. Yes. And I just yes. and I left and I never spoke to him again. I never I never looked to see how they were doing because I don't care enough to hear those words yeah. directed at me from something that you, you know, so that's what I'm saying. So sometimes people think they have the right reason. But when mm-hmm. you drill it down, it's like ridiculous. We can get some more. We'll get, you know. Yeah. yeah. He was, was not willing to begin to make any type of change. He was satisfied with the status quo, simply wanting to tick off a box and say, we've got one of those, we've got some of those. And right. those, those are the kind of things I refuse to fall into is saying, right. I'm one of those, let's put her in this box because right. we need to be sure that we meet some kind of government compliance. Right. You know? Crazy. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. That is story. Um, I'd like to kind of close this out by, I think there's a, uh, a saying you, you have, Judy, it's teach, listen, mentor, need help, just ask, 
Judy Hogelman, best coach I know. <laughs> I always say, if you need help, just ask, really just ask. If I don't have the answer, I'm going to get somebody that does have the answer. But the biggest problem that we have is that we don't ask. We assume people will get it and they'll figure out that we need help. Or they'll assume that if we say I need help, that I'm being weak or I don't know what I'm talking about. It's not true. When you ask, it's like a sign of strength. And I, I'm, I'm very available when somebody has, you know, a question or a problem or a challenge. I will give you information that probably can help you. But if you don't ask, I don't know. And if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So I always say that. I always say, please just ask. You know, it's teaching and learning and growing and all these wonderful things that we should be doing every single day. Yes. And to learn more about you, Judy, they can go to sellinginaskirt.com. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's the best way. Yeah. Yeah. I think I Um, have more questions. I'm going to have to (laughs) schedule some time with you, Judy. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that's always the fun part because when all the questions start coming up and, and that's what I love to do. I do. I love to help one woman a day, but I, I love to be able to transform or inspire or motivate, but also to give you some tools that'll help you get to where you want to go for your level of success, your definition, not mine, because it's not about me. It's not about me. I take the mirror and turn it your way. Well, you have achieved your goal today because Lisa Kay and myself have definitely been helped, plus our listening audience. Lisa Kay has the book, Walking on Glass Floor. Yeah. Awesome. So now I have one today and one tomorrow. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Judy Helberman, for joining us for Intentional Talk with Lisa Kay and Taylor. You can get Intentional Talk anywhere you receive your podcasts and on my channel on Pray.com. Also, check out our website, intentionaltalk.org. And you don't want to miss the great events that are happening with Fellowship Power Lunch. Go to fellowshippowerlunch.com. 